everybody out there in podcast land. This is Chris, the public safety guru. Before we begin today's lecture, I want to remind everybody that you can follow us on Instagram. The links are in our bio, as well as we are inviting you to participate in our new website, which is www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You can register. Registration is free. Registration will always be free. The website is designed for those of you that are entering the public safety world. We want to be able to give you all the information we have so that you can be as successful as we were. Okay, so enough with the self-promotions. Let's go ahead and get started with your next lecture. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about just two topics, shock and trauma. That's what today's lecture is on. This is in preparation for your Block 5 exam, Trauma. Before we begin to talk about shock, let's talk about the cardiovascular system. The cardiovascular system consists of the pump, pipes, and fluid, or heart, vessels, and blood. Now, what is perfusion? Perfusion is oxygen and nutrients going to the cells and waste products being removed. This is the simple definition of perfusion. Now, shock, the definition is widespread inadequate perfusion. Widespread inadequate perfusion. Now, for all of this to work, other systems have to assist the body, primarily the respiratory system. We need oxygen to come in, then exchange in the alveoli, and then we have to breathe out that carbon dioxide. This works back and forth, so respirations must be sufficient. Now, since we have defined shock as widespread inadequate perfusion, another word that we use is hypoperfusion, hypoperfusion, so remember that. So shock could be inadequate tissue perfusion, or shock could be referred to as hypoperfusion. Now, there are four primary categories of shock, cardiogenic, distributive, hypovolemic, and obstructive. Now, cardiogenic shock is pump failure, and the causes of pump failure can be a myocardial infarction, congestive heart failure, or a heart beating too fast or too slow. You as a student should remember that cardiogenic shock has anything to do with pump failure slash heart failure. The pump slash heart has failed. If that is the case, the patient is in cardiogenic shock. Now, in congestive heart failure, we know that the left side of the heart has failed. The blood is leaving the lungs, and now it's traveling to the heart, but now the left side of the heart has failed, causing the backup of fluid into the lungs. This is right heart failure, and your patient should present with shortness of breath slash difficulty breathing and rails slash ronchi. Now, on the other side of the heart, the right side of the heart, we see signs and symptoms of pedilidemia and JVD. So when you do see that, you must think that your patient is in right heart failure. For those patients that we are treating for cardiogenic shock, we want to place them in a semi-fowler's position if there's pulmonary edemia, supply high-flow oxygen, assist with ventilations as needed, suction as needed, and then prompt transport. This is the treatment for cardiogenic shock. Now, in distributive shock, we want to think of this as pipe failure or widespread vasodilation. Under normal conditions, our 
vascular system dilates and constricts. Well, in this type of shock, we have mass vasodilation. So the heart's working fine, we have plenty of fluid, but it's the vessels that are not working. A common cause of distributed shock is sepsis, as well as anaphylaxis, aka a severe allergic reaction. And someone who suffers a spinal cord injury around C3, 4, and 5. If you recall when we talked about syncopes, this is actually the reason why someone syncopes is that they have that psychogenic shock and then they have the widespread vasodilation, not enough blood pressure to keep them conscious, and then they faint. So this is all associated with distributive shock. Now, there are things that someone can do to themselves to put them in distributive shock, such as overdosing on opiates, nitroglycerin, and Viagra. This is when we go back to that lecture about the reason why we ask someone if they've taken any sexually enhanced drugs is because we can put them in distributive shock if we give them nitroglycerin on top of them taking some Viagra. So you see now how we're putting all the mechanics together? Now the next shock, which is probably the one that we deal with the most, is hypovolemic shock. This is inadequate fluids, blood or plasma. So causes are blood loss, burns, or dehydration. You need to remember this, that burns are hypovolemic as well as dehydration. If you see a test question that talks about the patient's physical signs, such as poor skin turgor, sunken eyes, these are signs of dehydration. Your patient will be in hypovolemic shock. Do not forget this. Hypovolemic shock isn't, isn't just someone losing blood, all right? If you do forget this, you're not going to do well on the test. The last shock we have is obstructive shock. So there is something that is obstructing the heart feeling or blood flowing. One of the causes is a pulmonary embolus. It is causing some type of blockage, which means there's inadequate heart filling and blood flow. Tension pneumothorax could also be a cause of obstructive shock, as well as a or aortic aneurysm. There is a condition that we did not talk much about. That is a cardiac tamponade. C-A-R-D-I-A-C, next word, tamponade, T-A-M-P-O-N-A-D-E. This is when that protective lining that surrounds the heart is damaged and fills with blood. The heart's working fine, but with every heartbeat, this sac begins to fill up with blood, thus reducing the heart's ability to be able to pump. Let's wrap all of this up now. There are four primary categories to shock. So on your paper, let's go ahead and put cardiogenic. The causes of cardiogenic shock, which is pump failure, are an MI, congestive heart failure, or a heart beating too fast or too slow. Distributive shock. We have some type of vessel vasal dilation, which can be caused by sepsis, anaphylaxis, neurogenic, and psychogenic. The next is hypovolemic. can be caused by bleeding, burns, dehydration. And then we have our last, our last shock, obstructive caused by pulmonary embolus, tension pneumo, aortic aneurysm, or cardiac tamponade. Now there are three stages to shock. Compensated shock, decompensated shock, and irreversible. And it's in that order. So I'm going to paint this picture for you. 
I'm a police officer and I'm chasing after a suspect and they get the upper hand on me and shoot me. Well, my body is going to immediately compensate for the gunshot wounds and the blood loss. So we have that compensated shock. I'm going to be restless and anxious, obviously, because I know that I'm hurt. My heart's going to automatically go into tachycardic uh, mode because it needs to maintain my blood pressure to keep me alive. So the first compensatory mechanism of shock is tachycardia. I'm going to start breathing faster because I need to take in more oxygen to keep that tissue perfusion going. Of course, then we're going to start seeing the physiological signs of shock, which are pale, cool, moist skin. I may get nauseated and have some vomiting. And then, of course, I'm going to have a decreased urination and thirst. So that is that compensatory shock. I'm headed towards death, but right now my body's able to compensate. Now, given that same scenario, as I begin to lose more and more blood, my body will start to become, my brain actually will start to become lethargic and you'll, the patient or myself will start experiencing an altered level of consciousness. Now, my tachycardic heart can no longer compensate for my blood pressure and now you'll see the patient present with hypotension. And then I will have rapid shallow respirations as I make my way towards death. Because of the poor tissue perfusion, my skin will be mottled and then my pupils will dilate. At this point, in t- is this point in time, and I'm now in decompensated shock. So decompensated shock consists of ALOC, hypotension, rapid shallow respirations, mottled skin, and dilated pupils. Now, since we are great EMTs, the general treatment, of course, is BSI, scene survey, general impression, ABCs, High flow O2, the position that we will put our patient in will be supine, shock or high fowlers, depending on what may be going on. Because think about this, the CHF patient is in shock and we transport them in upright, which means they are in a high fowlers, legs dependent position. So we just don't remember, just don't get wrapped up into, well, everyone has to be in shock position. No, you need to be a thinker, okay? Cover the patient to maintain normal body temperature, nothing by mouth, and splint as needed. Now, when you are studying for Block 5 exam, you need to think about the patient flow chart. So remember, the right side of the chart is responsive medical minor trauma. The left side is unresponsive medical major trauma. Now, if you get a test question that is starts off with some type of accident or injury, you are going to conduct a rapid trauma assessment. If it has something to do with medical, such as CHF, then it's going to be a rapid medical assessment. But going back to if you have something where the patient is playing basketball or doing something and they're presenting with, well, do I do a trauma assessment? Do I do a medical assessment? Look at the primary call that you responded on, okay? Now remember, a rapid trauma assessment is a head-to-toe, front-to-back, 60-90 to second assessment to ascertain and identify life-threatening emergencies. This is not, oh, look at they got a broken finger and they got 32 stab wounds and blah, 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 blah. No, this is the stuff that's going to kill your patient and needs to be corrected immediately, such as the open chest wound. That needs to be corrected immediately or your patient is going to die.
after you have determined what's going to kill your patient and have corrected it, then we could go ahead and get some vitals, get a sample history, then we go to our detailed physical exam where we're examining the head, the neck, the chest, the abdomen, the pelvis, legs, arms, back. We think about DCAP, BTLS. This is that time. And then if we get a chance, we'll go ahead and take care of those other injuries. But sometimes we just don't get that chance because our patient is so injured that we're dealing with those life-threatening emergencies. Now, I guess maybe for National Registry, you need to know this, but kinetic energy equals one-half times the initials MV exponent 2. So if you're going to write this on a piece of paper, write capital K, capital E equals one-half, capital M, capital V, and then put a little 2 at the top of the V. This is the formula for kinetic energy. It is utilized for determining penetrating injuries, blunt injuries, and automobile collisions, falls, shootings and stabbings, and blast injuries. As you can tell, we don't really use that all much, all this much in California, but once again, this is National Registry, so this is something that you may possibly have to know for that test. Now for this test, and I mentioned it in the class, remember what type of injury you would get from being struck from behind in an automobile, so a rear-end collision, that is whiplash. So we're concerned with a cervical spine injury. As opposed to being hit from the sides, you would be worried about a head injury to the left parietal, or if you're the passenger, a head injury to the right parietal, or if you're struck head-on, you would be worried about a head injury to your frontal lobe. But in the rear end traffic collision, we are worried about whiplash, thus a cervical spine injury. Now, when it comes to impaled objects, remember, we do not remove impaled objects unless it interferes with respirations or we have to do CPR. Those are the only two reasons why we will remove an object from a person. So if you have an object that is stuck to your patient, we need to have the fire department cut it away from the bigger object and we're going to transport that small object still stuck in the patient. We stabilize impaled objects with bulky dressing. Believe it or not, this concludes your shock trauma lecture. Now, I would tell you to review the Alley County protocols for patient destination regarding trauma because there's mandatory and then there's special considerations. This only means something to you if you're going to work in Alley County, so that's why I'm not going to go over it in this lecture. Now, to prepare for your Block 5 trauma exam, you also need to listen to the orthopedic injury lecture, soft tissue bleeding and burn lecture, as well as the head, spine, chest, abdomen, abdomen injury lecture as well. There's a total of four lectures that will encompass your Block 5 trauma exam. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Good luck to you on your testing. And remember, there's always a silver lining, right? And what do I say in class? Not everyone could be an EMT but you can definitely still be a firefighter. All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a good one and look forward to recording my next podcast.